today on CityCast Las Vegas, I'm here with my co-host, David Figler. Hey, Figler. Hey, what's up, Vogue? Hello. And newsletter editor, Scott Dickensheets. Hey, Scott. Hey, Vogue and David. How's it going? Awesome. Yay, you're back. Uh, we are getting into <laughs> the high points, the low points, and sideways-ish points of this week's news, from school districts' lawsuits to national monuments and a very important sandwich debate. It's Friday, December 2nd, 2022. I'm Vogue Robinson, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. It's lit. <laughs> Why is it December already, guys? I'm both excited and unhappy. <laughs> oh, I'm I I rue the beginning of every month because it means that uh, the things I've been putting off are here. <laughs> oh my gosh! Right? Yeah, the pressure to finish all the things you said you were gonna do is on. So, okay, let's talk about this week. So we got some good news. Yay! So Avikume is probably going to become a actual national monument per President Biden, which is exciting because numerous people and coalitions have been working together to petition for him to actually make that assignment. And the area is like, Huge amounts of public land in Southern Clark County. It's like really special for like birding, dark skies, hiking, tortoises. And it is an area that is very sacred to over 12 indigenous tribes. So if you didn't hear the episode, this is a nice time to go back and listen to old episodes of CityCast because we did actually talk to uh, Berta Gutierrez and she's the program director at the Conservation Lands Foundation. And she's David's friend. Hey, shout out B. Yeah. Um, So, David, why do we need a presidential approval to get a national monument? And like, what are our next steps? Well, I love this part of our roundups because I like to call it in my head law talk with David Figler. (laughs) So, uh, as usual, back in 1906, Congress passed the Antiquities Act. It was a a congressional law that authorized the president to say, hey, this part of federal land is a good place for national monument because it contains historic landmarks, historic and prehistoric structures, other things of historic or scientific interest. That authority has been ceded by Congress to the president. Not to say without controversy over the last 116 years, uh, because as you can imagine, sometimes politics gets involved and there's all sorts of other tensions, et cetera. And there have been efforts by Congress to roll some of that back. And there's been some discussions of whether or not a president can like roll back what another president did. So all very interesting as it uh, goes to the jurisprudence of the Antiquities Act of 1906. Thank you. This has been Law (laughs) Corner with David Figler. Well, and that played out, those dynamics played out here in Nevada when Barack Obama created the Basin and Range Mm. National Monument. and And I believe Bears Ears using uh, the Antiquities Act. Yeah, Bears Ears uh, in Utah. In in Utah, right. Grand Staircase Escalante. And then the Trump administration, or Donald Trump, had talked about rolling back some of the land, especially in Bears Ears. So we've seen some of that controversial dynamic play out, you know, in our region. Oh, I didn't. So do presidents, I don't know if we know the answer to this, but do presidents have the power to both designate and then undesignate things? Ooh, see, now you asked a good legal question. And a good legal answer is uh, maybe Maybe not. Maybe. Right. So I know for uh, Berta, she was saying that 
Representative Titus introduced a bill to designate the area as a national monument just to protect the area for cultural and recreational purposes. But because that bill kind of fell flat for a while and didn't get as much attention or didn't get traction (laughs) in my head, I'm just a bill. (laughs) Yes, I'm only a bill (laughs) sitting and waiting for some love to be passed. They they went the other way. So it's it's either the bill or the president. And the president seems like a faster route to go. So, yeah. And that's how it works. And you know, it's it, it's not uniquely a Western thing, but it because there's so much federal land out West and there's so much important preservation friendly or forward areas that most people want to see preserved. It happens out here a lot. I mean, the very first one was uh, Devil's Tower up in Wyoming. And so, you know, it's been the tradition since Teddy Roosevelt. You know, not everyone's happy about it. There there's some people who uh, are developers or people who there's some energy projects that the Review Journal reported can't right. happen now because of that. So, Scott, did you see the Clark County tweet? No, I didn't. Please enlighten me. So they put out a statement. I don't know if I'm, I'm going to read it, so I'm not paraphrasing what they put out. Clark County recognizes, and this is from at Clark County Envy, straight off the Twitter. Clark County recognizes the great significance of the Avikwame region to tribal communities, as well as conservationists. We continue to work with stakeholders at the federal level to ensure that while we are protecting these lands, we are also advocating for the future operational abilities of Harry Reid International Airport, as Mm. well as our other important economic institutions. We support the efforts to maintain the beauty of this sacred land. Mm. Does that feel coded to y'all? Because it feels... What is the sound of a bet being hedged? (laughs) (laughs) They've been playing with public lands a little bit. There was this big public lands act that was being touted by Catherine Cortez Masto, and it was going to allow for a compromise to allow more development. And then that bill mysteriously stalled out, and nobody has talked about it. And now this one's come up. And so I think Clark County might be in a spinzy. But, you know, the, the PIO over there is pretty much on fire almost all the time, or whoever's controlling their social media. And especially, I'm going to give a shout out to Eric Papa. Oh my God. He loves having fun. He loves having fun with the Twitters when he comes in. So especially if he could like, you know, give a little bit of juice to the to the city of Las Vegas, as we've talked about on the podcast before. Hot mess. Yeah. I don't know if Eric did that tweet, but Eric is a nice guy. So Nevada has a couple of national monuments, but I I love that now that we've got a national monument pretty much in our own backyard, do you think that you'll head out there more often? Well, I'm an avid indoorsman, so... uh, (laughs) But I I do think I will get out there. Earlier this year, there was a a really good art exhibit of artists who did art inspired by the area of of Iquibe. And it it was really enticing to see some of the, the natural splendor out there. Yeah, I, I can see myself getting out there, hiking for 15 or 20 feet, looking around, you know. Yes, I, I'll go with you because that's my kind of hike. I'm a, uh, I'm a converted outdoorsman going through my conversion process right now, taking my slow classes. It's because I paired up with somebody who is an avid outdoor person. So uh, I've been dragged screaming, uh, yelling, kicking. And then, of course, I mostly enjoy it when I'm out there. But, you know, I didn't think I'd ever be the Jew who did tent, tent camping. And that's me. Uh, but I, th- Nevada is just so great for it. And so I am grateful that we have these places where, you know, exploration and the appreciation of beauty can happen. Nevada is amazing. Southern Nevada is amazing. And this is only going to enhance things, I believe. So, yeah, I'll probably get out there, too. Maybe B will take me and my significant other. She and, she and her partner are a wonderful company. 
Well, if I get out there, Vogue, I promise to post some selfies, uh, <laughs> maybe with a cactus or something, as proof that I was out there. You know, what, I'm gonna I'm gonna propose just a, a whole big old party, all the CityCast folks, and uh, I am recruiting B and Aaron, her partner, to to take us out. Oh, that'd be cool. I love that. Let's talk about things I don't love. <laughs> Lawsuits. Right. Let's, I know. I was like, Figler's specialty. But so my understanding, and uh, Scott, you're going to have to give us the details on this. A mom in Las Vegas is suing Clark County School District. Why? Well, in last August, uh, August of 2021, her son, middle school age son, was beaten up on a bus pretty badly. His nose was broken. As I recall, he had to have some sort of facial surgery and and so on, and is now being homeschooled. So the mother recently filed a lawsuit against the school district for failing to take action to prevent this from happening. And she's she's really unhappy at the stonewalling she's getting from the school district or what she perceives as stonewalling. She can't get much information about the incident. If there's video from the bus, she can't get it and so on. So she is She's filed a lawsuit saying that either due to inadequate training or callous indifference, the district somehow let this happen. Strong words. Yeah. And there are a lot of things that are not clear from the news accounts. But if you read them carefully with a little bit of additional knowledge, one thing that kind of emerged for me anyway is that as much as this sort of sounds like a David versus Goliath sort of situation. There's a, a lot fewer clear-cut bad guys and good guys in this scenario than it sounds like. I mean, one one has just a boatload of sympathy for the mother. I mean, I'm a parent. I'm a grandparent. It's one of my worst nightmares for mm-hmm. this to happen. But the school district also is bound by a lot of federal laws that control what information they can give out, what they can tell the, the parent. There's very clear-cut guidelines about it. And so if my son gets bullied by someone, if my son doesn't know the name of that student, the school can't tell me who that is. Mm-hmm. The school can't tell me the name of the, of the student. The school can't tell me what discipline was in, enacted upon that student, other than to say it was within district guidelines, because there are federal education privacy laws that apply in, the, in these sort of scenarios. And that's not to let the district off the hook for what there are clearly uh, security measures that need to be taken, and they are taking some. So I don't want to make it sound like the school district is is blameless when the lawsuit will presumably determine some of that. But it is a more complex situation than it appears from just what what's appeared in the media. I mean, that's horrible to hear. I mean, her son's her child's nose was broken. I would be deeply upset too. And and just, you know, you you we want for schools to be a place where our children can go and be safe and learn and socialize and they were cut off from that as a result of you know, earlier years in the pandemic where they were just doing school online. So we went from being like, put your computer down to hurry up and log on on time. <laughs> so th- I think the, the kids are going through so much already. But then on the other side, okay, thinking about the parents, there's a spike of violence in schools. There's different shootings that have happened. Parents have a right, I think, to be afraid. And so I guess for us, like David, even thinking about if we put ourselves in the mother's shoes, like, what would you do in her situation? Like, what other options does she have other than to take some kind of action and sue the district? Well, I'll say this. Back to law corner with David. Yeah, back to law corner. Well, no, I'm going to go I'm gonna go a different direction, Scott. I'm going to go to, what would David's mom do? <laughs> oh. I'm going to just say. Uh, That's not if, the law corner. <laughs> no, this is, she would burn the whole frigger down. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> 
I get it. I I get protective mom. I get wanting you know answers. I want I want justice as the mom, right? I get all that. Absolutely. I'm just going to say this, and this is going to sound weird coming from a lawyer, but you know, people come up to me all the time. People come up to me all the time, and they go, "Hey, can I sue?" And I stop them right there, and the answer is always yes. Yes, it's America. You could always sue. (laughs) And the thing is that a lawsuit, when put together, has allegations, and that's all they are, that, you know, everything in the world was done wrong and everyone is liable. And the goal of most civil litigation is to get a payday at the end that you feel you're entitled to for pain and suffering and all the other stuff. Mm. A secondary goal sometimes of lawsuits is to effectuate change. I don't feel that the civil lawsuit, personal injury type of litigation per se effectuates justice changes as directly as maybe people think it it should, which is maybe a controversial position. And look, there have been recent lawsuits against the Clark County School District that have effectuated wholesale change in federal court, you know, especially with the, the treatment towards children with special needs. That was a big, big deal. And so sometimes it is appropriate. I'm not going to comment on this particular case. I didn't read the lawsuit. Um, I don't know the specifics and by intention because I don't want anything that I'm saying right now to suggest one way or another that this is or is not a righteous lawsuit. But I will say this, that having been a public school kid here in Las Vegas, having been a public school kid who relied on the busing system for almost all of my uh, secondary education, it's treacherous. It, it is bad. I was just going to say, a lot of times with when you're riding on the bus, especially because I grew up and I definitely rode the bus all the time. My grandma used to have to drive me. <laughs> to, like, I'm the late kid, so I was the kid either running after the bus yeah. or my grandma was like, dropping me off at the last bus stop so that I could get to school. She was like, I'm not taking you to school because you're late on purpose. And I was. Um, It was much better to ride with grandma. Anyways, all that to say, shout out to bus drivers because your job is to get the kids from point A to point B. So do you have time to be the disciplinarian? Like our bus driver used to just pull over and be like, until y'all shut up, we'll just sit here and y'all will be late to school. Mm. Ask me about how much I do or do not care. And that might be subject to a lawsuit because then the mom of the academically advanced kid is like, wait, my kid just missed out or didn't get the perfect attendance award or, you know, whatever. I mean, are there good answers, Scott, in in a situation like this? And what is the better approach than perhaps lawsuits to make sure that everyone kind of walks away feeling like they're heard? Because I think at the end of the day, isn't that kind of what they're asking for here is like, I just need to be heard that my kid was wronged and I don't know. I I also saw some stuff in the newspaper article that they were upset that the juvenile justice system didn't adequately give them justice. And I've got a whole bunch of feelings about that. I think also the the language around the word justice and, and what does that mean to different people across the board? Because you can you can sue and you can get pain and suffering money, but it doesn't bring you know, it doesn't change the, the the trauma that's occurred. So I think it comes all the way back to social and emotional learning, how mm. we're treating one another, the, you know, and there's a lot of anti-bullying campaigns throughout the Valley. And like, you know, there's the Be Kind shirts. Like I've worked in different schools where they have the, the very lovely Be Kind shirts and we've got such artsy students. I, I, I hope that what comes from this is that they look into what was happening with the students, that they're addressing how the student is feeling, regardless of who's at fault or who's liable or who wins whatever lawsuit. 
are we going to address why did this other kid attack this other kid? How long was the bullying happening? And then on the other side, how is the kid doing who was attacked? Are we going to give that kid some kind of like real consistent counseling and therapy along the way? And then the people who witnessed it, because all of that is trauma. <laughs> so yeah. what are what are we doing for realsies? How do we heal all the parties involved, including the bully. And you know what? I'm not going to yes. say a, a, as as someone who was small and vulnerable and, and saw what was happening and did everything I could to avoid those situations, not always successfully. You know, my heart also goes out a little bit because these are kids. And, you know, the bullying is coming from somewhere and that kid needs to be healed as well. Well, absolutely. And I think I think a gesture was made in that direction when the legislature called for restorative justice uh, measures, I think it was in the, what, the 2019 session or hmm. sometime a few years ago, um, but they didn't fund it. And so what that means functionally is that you know schools that don't already have counselors or can't, you know, don't have the grants or outside funding to get them means that somebody on staff has to sort of function in that untrained role, which meant that the process was not as strong as it could have been. And it's gotten a lot of negative attention from both the teachers union and incoming Governor Lombardo, who is, who has said he'd like to repeal that. Hmm. But I think if properly funded and, and with counselors who will work with kids to like address the roots of their problem, hmm. rather than just suspending them and deferring the problem until they come back and not really addressing the actual cause of of, of the aggression or of whatever happened, and I think that's a way forward. But, you know, the legislature, or as I like to think of them sometimes, the 63 Stooges. No! Need to, <laughs> I've been hoarding that one. Uh, <laughs> I, I think they need to, you know, sort of find their wallet on this issue and give it the funding that it needs because we, we need fewer incidents like this happening. Mm. And especially in this post-pandemic era where kids have, you know, whatever socialization they'd picked up unraveled Home. in a lot of cases. Staring and kids, at the internet watching trash YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah, kids don't know how to be together anymore. And so you see a lot of you know aggression coming to the fore in some of those cases. So I think it's even more imperative on the legislature now than it was to adequately fund this these kind of measures. I think the, the term restorative justice now, like so many other terms in conversations about doing things differently to get better results has really suffered. And I, I think a rebranding might be in store because I think at the end of the day, restorative justice actually is a big ass umbrella that has a lot of different concepts to it and could be approached in a lot of different ways. And I agree with you, Scott, it needs to be done professionally. It's not something you could just hand off. But it, at, at the end of the day, when it comes to like making sure kids are safe, but also getting to the root of stuff and healing and making sure that it is less likely to happen in the future, the juvenile justice system, which is touted by some as being the only answer, is usually the worst response. Oh, you're, you're agreeing with me on that, huh, Phil? Yes. Yeah, 100 percent. When we talk about what is the what is the goal? What do we when we say, oh, restorative justice? Here goes this big word that we're now tossing around this big term. If it's about rebranding, I think it's actually just reintroducing and giving people a better understanding of hmm. the goal is prevention which America, I think, has a very tough time managing things when it comes to, oh, how do we prevent a problem as opposed to being reactive? And I'd love to see more, more of that. So, um, you know, shout out, not shout out, but, you know, sending love to that, all, all families and parties involved. Okay, people. 
Let's talk about food. (laughs) (laughs) You know, these roundups always wind up with food talk, and it always both makes it it heals me, and it also makes me hungry. So I don't know. (laughs) David, there is now a great hey Vogue. (laughs) There's a great sandwich, Sammy, which actually David and Scott. (laughs) Oh yeah. Explain the tweet that started the sandwich debate to end them all. All right, this is my bad. Uh, you know, I I went back in time again to... No, I love doing that voice for some other reason. I did an innocuous, innocent tweet just promoting the podcast. You know, just wanting people to know that there was a new episode up about... Capriotis. A beloved local sandwich shop, Capriotis, and... You know, recently What's the word? What's in my the word, life, David? sandwich has been referred in my household to Sammy. It's quick, it's fun, it's energetic, and it was not meant to offend anyone, including Scott Dickensheets. But look who, at Scott's face. Scott, why'd you make that face? Scott went off the rails. All I did, dear listeners, <laughs> oh, God, here we go. is say that while I support the fine efforts of our podcast team, I could not retweet any post that contains the word Sammy. Mm. And so, of course, the podcast team quickly put up a Twitter poll, you know, (laughs) asking people to vote on the appropriate sandwich cutesy nickname, which is Sammy, Sandwich, which I hate even worse, uh, Sando, Sarni, I think was one. Yes. And so that got some traction on Twitter. And then, so I referred the matter to the the newsletter readers uh, the following day. The ultimate arbiters of truth and justice, the newsletter readers. Uniformly a group of people with excellent taste. And so I got got a fair amount of response to that, the preponderance of which was like, let's just call them sandwiches. No cutesy (laughs) nickname needed. Um, (laughs) Shout out to Krista Diamond. uh, (laughs) She said it's a dignified food. No nicknames. uh, my, My objection to Sammy and Sandwich is... Like I just don't like baby talk, and that's that sounds like oh, infantile. Come on, Scott. That sounds in, infantilizing to me. And uh, I mean, the first thing my wife and I did when we had a child was agree that we're not going to do mm. baby talk. A blanket will always be a blanket, not a blankie. The bottle will be a blo- a bottle, not well, a. Well, you probably didn't cut the crust off the bread either for your I, tough love, I, Dad. <laughs> I did do that because I am a benevolent person. <laughs> oh, okay. um, all right. So there is a line. So. Uh, And I did get one, among the many good responses I got, David, was from our acquaintance, uh, yours and mine, uh, James Riza, who said... Oh, he had something uh, to say? James Riza piped in on something? He did. And what he had to say was, Sammy sounds too anthropomorphic for something you're about to put in your mouth. And I have to go with that logic myself. So... Okay, so for the best nickname for a sandwich per Twitter, uh, we have Sammy, My Hill to Die On, and that got 14.7%. Oh, that was mine. Uh, Ugh, I feel not not vindicated. I yeah. feel vilified. feel that way. Uh, it's Sando, baby, and that's 29.4%. At a whopping 50% is Sandwich. Duh. <laughs> so they're here for Sandwich. And then Sarni, but also WTF, got 5.9%. So... What is that word? I've never heard that before the poll. Some of the newsletter readers weighed in and said that it's actually a British slang term. So so whoever did the Twitter poll, obviously they're they're taking an international perspective on this. It's like those Brits have a different word for everything. Of course, right? Biscuits. Apparently in Australia, 
sandwiches are called sangas. Some people call them sangas. So in our very swift wrap up of shenanigans, let's go into what is your favorite sandwich in Las Vegas? I will stick with Capriati's and go with the um, the cold turkey. Hmm. Surefire hit every time. Straightforward. I'm, I'm going to stall for time. So what's yours, Vogue? Oh, that's so funny. I don't have a favorite sandwich in Las Vegas. Uh, I like types of sandwiches. Like, I like po' boys. I just want to shout out all the sandwiches. I'm like, I like a po' boy. I like a roast beef. I, I will eat a capistrami. I'm, I'm just here for food. If it's well-made, uh, ooh, tortas. Like, cultural different types of sandwiches. I eat food, y'all. I live my best life. <laughs> Figgler. Man, I'm struggling with it like I always do because I don't want to exclude anybody you know, the best sandwiches, I'm going to be honest, are leftovers in my own home, especially if they're leftover from really good restaurants. I'm just going with that. Plus, my partner makes her own bread. So yum, yum, sourdough, oh. still going. Pre-pandemic, oh. post-pandemic. What's that cheesesteak shop over in the A-frame there on Decatur? Pops. They make an awesome... Pops, Pops does a good yeah. job. Oh. Yes. Pops is good. Yeah, I will right. drive across town for a Pops cheesesteak. You know I'm going to, I'll sign off on Pops. Yes. It's near the Meadows Mall. Pops, you can't even miss it. It's right on the corner. And it's like, you can stand outside and, and it has a, a non- I mean, Pops is popular. It has a non-working drive through And you're yeah. just like, if this was in use, you guys could probably make more money. But I mean, I think they do what they got to do with the staff that they have. But In fact, let's wrap this up so I can get moving towards Pops. Boom. Agreed. <laughs> All right, gentle folks. Well, thanks so much, David and Scott, for this riveting conversation. I appreciate y'all. It was a wild ride, Vogue, but I'm glad to have uh, been strapped into the roller coaster with uh, my two friends, Scott and Vogue. I can't think of anyone better to do it with. Happy to be here talking sandwiches any day of the week. <laughs> That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our lead producer is Sonia Cho Swanson, and our producer is Layla Muhammad. Our newsletter editor is Scott Dickensheets, and our hosts are David Figler and me, Vogue Robinson. Music is by OG Moose and All the Kimonos. We record this show on the traditional homelands of the Nuguvi, the Southern Paiute people. If you enjoyed the show, go ahead and tell a friend. Go out for sandwiches and let us know. <laughs> Rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Take care. Oh, I am still recording. Should I probably stop?